Well, hello, America, and welcome to Red Sky Radio. God bless you today. Uh, I am back in the saddle again as uh, Gene Autry, or was it Roy Rogers? I don't know who which one sang back in the saddle again. Not it was it was Roy Rogers. Anyway, I'm back, and I am not at the top of the game, uh, but God has enabled me to do what I can do, and. We're going to do it today. First of all, though, I want to express just the, the greatest gratitude I possibly can for all those who are praying for me. Uh, I received a lot of response, people uh, praying for me and for my wife. My wife has actually been uh, sicker than I have. She's in her fourth week of something that... COVID was part of it. It's not all of it. Uh, I'm starting to come out of it to some extent, so just bear with me. Uh, it's not going to be a rabble-rousing show in, this, in the, to the extent that I'm at the top of my lungs, uh, which is probably a good thing, this being Christmas weekend. The first half of the program is not going to be devoted to Christmas. The second half is and something very special that I'm looking forward to to sharing with everyone and some things that I just feel as though God has revealed to me to pass on for just such a time as this. But please keep us in your prayers. We appreciate it so much. It's been so meaningful. It, it really has. Um, next thing is I want to share is that um, I'll, I'll share more on it next week. But we're going to not make a change to Red Sky Radio. We're going to have an addition to Red Sky Radio. Uh, interestingly, uh, in fact, my son mentioned this. He just said, Dad, he said, you know, you've got, you've lived a lot of years. He said, I've derived a lot of wisdom from you. He said, you've shared it with me generously and with the grandchildren. And um, But he said, I think there's it's come to a time where you need to share some of these things with the radio audience. And what he's talking about is to take uh, five, seven, eight, ten-minute segments, which will be called the lighter side. I'm not really sure. Just the lighter side, the lighter side of Robin Walder, the lighter side of Red Sky Radio. I'm not sure, but they're going to be little bite-sized podcasts. Now, for those of you who get the program via email blast distribution, you will get these. If you, or if you don't want them, let me know. I will take you off that distribution. Um, those of you who get the podcast, definitely get it. Those who listen by way of AM or FM radio out of Chico or Las Vegas, I'm afraid you won't get it. Uh, on the radio because they're they're little segments. They don't fit into the station format or program well. So that being the case, if you want to pick them up, it's going to start next year, not next week, but next year, which is just a couple weeks away. 
excuse me, um, you'll have to pick it up on the podcast. And I'll give you more on that later, but you can go to uh, the Robin Walter Show. You can go to rumble.com forward slash user for uh, Robin Walter's show. You will pull it right up. That's how you'll be able to get these. And they're going to be things that are a little lighter, a little not generic, but things that are not what I do for 56 minutes each week. Okay. Now, what I found interesting about this is when he suggested this to me, it resonated. He said, you know, you've got other things to share which ought to be passed on. And uh, he said, I know where your passion is, but there are other things that need to be shared. Now, the very next day, this is a God thing. I don't know where any of you are with respect to prophetic words and things of that sort. I have respect for it. I don't believe every word. I test the spirits. There are times when something has been spoken over me prophetically that the person speaking it had no way of knowing, and it, in fact, was indeed true. There's also those who have been completely bogus and totally, totally out there. And uh, I don't fear them. I, don't, I, I just disregard them. The very next day after my son shared this with me, I'm at church unsolicited, a man from Alabama comes up to me and starts to speak to me. He said, I have some things that need to be shared with you. So I'm listening. He said, you have a lot of stories. I perceive, I've never met this man I at all, have no connection whatsoever, no way in the world he could do anything about me. He said, I, I perceive that you have a lot of stories to share. Well, he's absolutely correct on that because that's my second book, things I picked up along the way and a few things I should have left behind, which we don't have yet published. But we're very close. He said, you have a lot to share. And he said, you are uh, you can tell a good story. I can tell that. That's one of the giftings. You have a dry sense of humor, and on occasion, it's a wet sense of humor. I don't even know what he meant by that. I'm just passing on what he said. But then he went on to say something that absolutely astounded me. And he said, at this point in your life, you have to begin to teach others. You have to begin to pass on things that God has given you. And you need to pass it on to the next generation and succeeding generations, or maybe even those of your own generation who have not learned a thing or two yet. He said, you, you need to do that. The word that he gave me was exactly what my son, not speaking in a prophetic manner, just just his observation, hey, this is what my dad is, and this is what I think you ought to be doing, shared with me the day before. And so that's what we are going to be doing in addition to Red Sky Radio, our little bite-sized podcast and distributions on particular topics. They may not be earth-shattering, but I want to bring wisdom, and if God would bless me with humor, then great. If not, it's not intended to be a stand-up comedy show. But whatever God would give me, and I hope you will check it out. And if it's not for you, skip it. And if it is, um, pass it on to others. 
because I hope to be able to share some things that uh, I think are, would be instructful to a lot of people. Okay. Well, I made it through that, all to say that I will probably re-explain all of this next week because, well, because next week will be only a week or two before we launch that. Now, I'm going to go into a couple of rough things here for a minute. The second half of this program is all Christmas, but in a very, very different way. But those of you who've listened for any measure of time know that the words that I had speaking prophetically in a paradigm about Donald Trump back in 2016 and how he was Jehu, Hillary was Jezebel, and her husband was Ahab, fit the paradigm perfectly. What I said six years ago But what I've also said about four weeks ago and then about ten weeks ago was that I never really quite knew whether this paradigm would be complete. And by complete, I meant that while Jehu, it said, did everything that was in God's heart to do, which I think Donald Trump did. I mean, he was clearly a Jehu, um, which, which just basically ripped the shreds out of the Democratic Party. He did that. My concern has always been how the story ends, because in the end, Jehu does not follow God. He does he distinctly does not follow God. In fact, it says he turns back to Baal. And so my question has been, will Donald Trump revert to his old Ways, will he, so to speak, uh, go back to being going back to Baal worship of sorts? Yeah, I know he says he's a Christian. I know people have prayed over him and said, "Hey, I'm Presbyterian. What more do I need?" You know, I can't, I can't parse my way through all of that. But what I did say recently, and then a little bit ago, and then way back six years ago, that when I knew the answer. When I sensed that I had the answer to whether the Donald Trump Jehu paradigm would actually come full circle, I would let you know. And I'm here today to let you know. It has gone full circle. And sadly, Donald Trump has returned to his old ways. Not the ways of Baal, his old ways. And I'm going to share something that will shock you. Maybe, maybe not. But it's the piece of evidence not that I've been looking for because I want it to be the case. Quite the contrary. I did not want this paradigm to be complete. After he took apart Ron DeSantis and I was really upset at at, uh, Trump's immaturity and his egotism and all of that, uh, then he had his nomin- he, he he gave his announcement at Mar-a-Lago, which seemed to be very humble. He spoke about we, not I, and um, you know us uh, and they, and you know spoken third person plural instead of first person singular. He wasn't talking much about himself. I was impressed, but I was holding my judgment. I said, I hope this sticks, but it did it did not. And it has not. 
and the number of people that have turned against him, it's, it's phenomenal. There is absolutely no way that he can win the nomination. But that's not the point of this story. How did he return to his old ways? In a way that stuns me, shocks me, and yet at the same time, knowing that this could happen, it doesn't shock me. It's just, I, I, did, I wanted the, the paradigm to be 90% accurate, not 100% accurate. So, let me share with you what happened just a few nights ago. All right, so we have Joe, Joey Biden coming out for queer marriage, queer this, queer everything. Tranny this, tranny that. The guy is just looking for a freight train south to hell, and he wants the front seat, and he's on it. People say, oh, how can you judge him? I can, you know what? You judge him by the fruit, right? You judge the tree by the fruit. Anybody who is this gone, this sordidly immoral, beyond belief, has no place in heaven. I mean, you know, I mean, is it too late for him? I'm guessing it probably is. But this isn't about Biden. So Joey signs off on the historic Respect for Marriage Act, which if he had any respect for true marriage, he would have vetoed it. But he has no respect for marriage. All he has respect for is sodomy and all the things that God would call an abomination. It's one thing when that kind of behavior and that kind of speech, that kind of action, comes from somebody as lost and abysmally lost with an abominable moral record as Joe Biden who has cannot get one thing biblically right and is proud as in pride of everything that makes God hurl it's one thing he's a democrat democrats it's part of their dna they're lost they're gone when republicans begin to act that way now we are in for a wake-up, a shake-up like you can't imagine. When it's the Republicans that pushed the queer marriage bill through in the House, the queer marriage bill in the Senate, when it's the Republicans who now 55% of Republicans say they support sodomistic marriages. I am not a Republican anymore. I am going to re-register as an independent. But I'm getting to Donald Trump because Donald Trump hosted the log cabin Republican celebration of gay rights at Mar-a-Lago. I've got a picture of Donald here proudly holding up and smiling like no tomorrow with a big sign LGBTs for Trump sign holding it up very proudly. Here's what the Donald, lost as he is, said. Can you be a Christian and be this far gone on this topic? I don't think so. That's just my thought. He said, quote, We are fighting for the gay community. We are fighting and we are fighting hard, said Trump, who described himself as the most pro-gay president in American history, end quote. That's your Donald Trump. 
The scene at Mar-a-Lago, here's what it is, and I just need to quote here from uh, uh, the 4 p.m. That's a, it's, a, it's a great broadcast. It says, quote, there are hundreds of guests at Mar-a-Lago in tuxedos of all styles, sequined, quilted, velvet, colorful gowns, sipping on Trump-branded champagne and martinis. Between courses of steak and bite-sized key lime pie, they danced to YMCA. End quote. This is debauchery from our former president who wants our vote as somehow being the, having the moral opinion. He should know better. And since he does not do better, though he should know better, makes Donald Trump morally on this issue worse than Joe Biden. I can't even tell you how pro-Ron DeSantis I am. I'm probably going to dump my mega hats. Now, if that's not enough, this is how, and I just got done telling you, 55% of Republicans now support queer sodomistic marriage. And they'll soon support tranny this and tranny that and gender transitioning. Of course they will. They just lag behind. They don't want to be too different from Democrats, just a little bit to somehow gather my vote and gather my money. Screw them. I'm not supporting any candidate that supports that garbage. Not at all. Now, I may end up voting 90% Republican because I got no choice. But I want a choice. And as we supported Carrie Lake here in Arizona, she's jumped on the MAGA bandwagon, the MAGA celebrity, because she's been floated as a running mate for Trump. Well, that's uh, that's going to be like having a rock tied around your foot as an anchor. It's going to just simply take you down. So what did Carrie do? Carrie went out there. And just cozied up with all the queers, talking about how they're 80, 90, 100% of the men in media are gay, she said, and conservative politics is full of gay men as well. So that's because you accommodate them. That's because you cater to them. That's because you support their malevolent and abysmally immoral lifestyle. She said, it's not just that Trump is indistinguishable from Biden on the issue of LGBT rights. It's that he is now elevating the log cabin Republicans and the LGBT ideology to a level it has never seen on the right. Donald Trump has gone back to what he was before the elevator ride. It's all over. I'm not supporting him. I mean, might I vote for him if the alternative is Joe No Brains Biden? Probably. Hold my nose. Pull the lever. But I want Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, who's actually trying to fortify school board meetings and stop all the woke queer crap and the COVID vaccines. He is the real deal. There isn't a better candidate out there Donald Trump can just take a hike. I'm sorry it's come down to this. 
I was afraid it would come down to this. I was hoping it wouldn't come down to this, but it has. Oh, of course, the Donald pushes companies that supposedly are really, really great, like uh, Mattel and so forth. But you know what? I mean, Mattel now owns Barbie. They own Fisher-Price, Hot Wheels, American Girl. There isn't more a war, war queer company out there than Mattel that's pushing the LGBT garbage down the throats of our kids. If you've got your kids in a public school, you are negligent. You are uh, child neglect, child endangerment to have them in a government school. Get them out. Or you will have, you will pay the price, and God will hold you responsible. Don't say, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, but don't forget it. If the moral sanctity of one's children and grandchildren doesn't sit at the top of the list, all the other priorities are totally, radically screwed up. Because you can't go anywhere. Well, you can't, that's what I'm saying. You can't take your kids to a toy store without having this woke, queer crap pushed down your throat. Whether it's Mattel or Barbie, or maybe he's not Barbie anymore. Maybe it's Bobby. Who knows? Who cares? They don't care. Mattel said, our most recent example of playing with pride, celebrates the LGBTQ plus community, includes a donation to the It Gets Better Project in honor of Pride Month. And there are so many more things we at Mattel are going to do. And then reading from this article, Mattel came under fire most recently because of American Girl book aimed at uh, getting girls to uh, hold, uh, promoting gender transitions without parental consent. American Girl, I hope they burn to the ground. I'm not encouraging anybody to set fire to the building. I just hope that God hits, takes a lightning strike to them and fries them right to the absolute foundation. Why not? What's the alternative? People say, oh, you just got to love them. I am so sick of hearing people say, you got to love them. And those are the same people who do not do jack squat crap diddly about it because they're gutless and don't and will not ever do anything about it because they're afraid of being ostracized and ostracized and marginalized. That's a bunch of hooey. Well, Martel came out and said, I just hope that kids of all gender identities can look at the new Barbie and dream. Dream of what? A life in hell? A life living contrary to God's word in every way, shape, or form. Well, last thing before we go to the lighter side of this program, the Christmas portion. But this deals. I guess I have to. I have to start this with why and on earth has it taken so long. You say, well, what do you mean? What I mean is I have said over and over and over again on this program and wherever I can speak, there is no draining the swamp until you spank them in the fanny financially. The left doesn't get anything but money. 
That's all they care about is money because money means control. And control is the ultimate goal. They couldn't care less about any moral virtues. And, and doing the bidding of the demon state is the FBI and DOI, the Department of Injustice, backed up by the uh, environmental guys who are now rolling around, run around with guns and soon to be backed up by another 87,000 IRS agents. The government is the most anti-American establishment in the United States. Nothing is more un-American than our federal government. That's why states have to leave. Tell Joey just to stick it where the sun doesn't shine because we're going to go and do it our way. But why has it taken so long? Well, what I mean here is Representative James Comer, a Republican from Kentucky, was on Hannity. And uh, he's a House Oversight Committee ranking member. So he was reacting to the latest Twitter files release, where it's obvious that the FBI and Twitter have an incestuous relationship with stopping Trump, stopping and silencing conservatives. The FBI sucks at more levels than we could ever possibly imagine. So... Comer says on Hannity the other night, quote, the entire FBI needs to be dismantled. We need to start all over. We need to enact strict reforms, and there need to be checks and balances at the FBI. Well, so far in this quote, I'm unimpressed. That's sort of like just saying, we want cars with four wheels. That goes without saying. But he didn't stop there. He said, we need to hold these agencies accountable. And it all, now he finally gets down to it. It all begins with the budget process. It all begins with the budget process. This is what I have been saying, that the, that the only way you can hold them accountable is financially. You've got to go in there. I don't care if we have a budget. Let the government let the government grind to a halt. Let there be riots. I don't really care. Cut the money off from the federal agencies. Cut them off at about fifty percent of normal operating level. Cut them off. Spank them so hard in the derriere, they're going to be smarting and spitting pennies for a long time. Comer went on to say, quote, my concern was that this was a rogue FBI employee or two. But what we have found today is that the FBI has its own ministry of propaganda. Partly funneled, of course, by Mark Zuckerberg and all the incestuous relationship with all the libtards of which the FBI is notably a flush with. The fact of the matter is, you can never hold somebody accountable with as long as you continue to fund their behavior. I mean, just think about it. Would you, you go back to the your children, and I never got an allowance. No, we didn't. We didn't do that thing. But I know a lot of my friends got an allowance. 
and all they really had to they had to do two things to keep the allowance going. One, they had to do minimal amount of basic chores around the house. All right. Number two, they couldn't screw up. If one of my friends misbehaved, and we all misbehaved to varying degrees at different times, what was the consequence? You lost the money. You lost the money. And you had to sit and stew. You got to sit and think about your behavior for a while before you'd come back and say, all right, well, I'm not going to do it that way again because I don't want to be without my money. And guess what? The FBI is really no different. They need to sit in the Department of Injustice to decide that they've got to sit and stew over their screw-ups and how they've gotten spanked financially and determine whether they are going to behave in a constitutional manner like they were supposed to do. And if they do that, then maybe the money is restored. It's the only thing. If you continue to fund them, how on earth could you expect there to ever be a change in the behavior of any federal agency as long as you continue to fund their shenanigans and their evil? No, cut them off. Cut them off at the knees of the rusty knife. Robin Walter, don't go away. We'll be right. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear And what a privilege to care We are back. This is a Robin Walters show. That's uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus by one of my favorite artists, Alan Jackson. Yes, this is Christmas weekend. And I feel like I got all the the junk out of the way and we can get on to uh, a different view, a way of looking at the Christmas story and maybe what our role is. And I'm calling this segment of the program that no one should be a stranger to the manger. I know that uh, most of you, I would think of me, certainly my generation have seen It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart and where he he messes up and he wishes that he wasn't born and an angel grants him his wish and then he has an opportunity to see 
what Bedford Falls looks like, which was not Bedford Falls anymore. It was Potterville under a, a, a nasty guy by the name of Mr. Potter who basically owned the town, but he saw just how awful life was with his absence and how the, 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 the town was raucous. There was prostitution and gambling and fighting. and was just basically um, a Las Vegas without limitations in this little town that was Bedford Falls. And he gets an opportunity to see the impact that his presence had. Well, you know, of course, obviously, we can say that about Jesus. And what would this world be like if there had been no Savior born? But there's an event that you probably also know about, if maybe you've read it in history books, called The Christmas Truce of 1914. It took place in... Europe, World War One. There were three three particular contingents at that time: the French, the British, and the Germans. And you got to Christmas Eve, and uh, Christmas Eve, the uh, the uh, British heard the Germans singing Christmas carols, and they apparently saw a few lights lit. They had a little Christmas tree going, and they responded. And then something happened about which there's been much talk and it was did not last for a long time, a grand total of about 36 hours. But there was no shooting, at least in some portions of the front lines during this war. They were in their trenches. It was cold. It was Christmas Eve. And there was something better to do than fight, and that was to engage the enemy where they would exchange little gifts, they'd exchange cigarettes and candy and a few things. And many of the Germans spoke English. And so there was communication, not so much with the French, but with the Germans and the English, yes. And there was this very, very special time for this brief moment. There was sort of this peace on earth. And the fact of the matter is, it's never happened again. It's never happened since then. But you'd like to think that something other than tragedy and war needs to bring people together, if only for a period like that 36-hour truce. But I want to say that, like Jimmy Stewart's presence in It's a Wonderful Life, you I, none of us should underestimate the impact that our presence can have on our immediate surroundings and in our world because we believe in a Savior that died for us and rose from the dead for us. Because he lives inside of us. He lives. And that brings peace sometimes in the smallest little increments that even like in that Christmas truce of 2014, which, like I said, only lasted for about 36 hours. But just because, what do I want to say here? Just because it didn't last doesn't mean it was of no value. 
Just because it didn't last doesn't mean it was of no value. Because it was maybe not of a lot of value to a bunch of people, but to a few, it was. To a few, their hearts changed. And if the sum total of our existence on this planet is not that we end up leading hundreds of thousands to Jesus Christ, that's great for those who have that. But for the for the most people, it's what do what impact do we have in our relatively small world? That even whether whether it's a few people or several people, is an impact that lasts, an, an impact that has legs to it, that gives rise to someone else having hope, and someone else actually then with that hope raising a family differently than they might have raised them differently had we not been here. You see, the presence of Jesus, of one, made valuable the presence of all of us that believe in him. You know, of, of particular joy to me in the Christmas story. And and I, I grew up loving Christmas. I cannot deny that. Growing up in a little town of Lowell, Michigan, invariably we had snow. I'd come home on Christmas Eve early, would typically get off work early, maybe go scoot uh, through the woods on my beloved chaparral snowmobile, go out in the woods. I'd go out maybe at dark and look up at the moon and uh, just just the beautiful sights of the depth of a cold winter on a clear night has its own startling, to me, invigorating response because I look at what God made. And I will never forget this one particular Christmas that I came home and um, we had a big house and we had a high ceiling um, family room. We called it an activity room back before there were cathedral ceilings. And it was a pretty high tree. It was about nine feet and from a family of nine. Had to be a big tree to contain all of the presents. We had a huge fireplace. We had a Yule log that was cut sometime before, but that had to make it through the whole night till the next morning. And I will remember so vividly that I only had one sister. We were all boys, one sister. She was sought after and courted. And I shared this once before in the program, but I'll keep it brief. There are a lot of guys, a lot of suitors that sought her out. And this particular Christmas Eve, I heard sleigh bells outside. Not a big deal where I grew up. We had sleighs, and they had sleigh bells. And the sleigh bells were there sort of as headlights. They were warning other other vehicles and things that didn't have lights that, that there was a horse coming with a sleigh because there were no lights on the sleighs. But one of those suitors stopped by to pick up my sister to go for a sleigh ride. And he pulled up. I saw him outside. It was a one-horse open sleigh. That is correct. That is exactly what it was. And a couple of my brothers and I ran out there, and we jumped in the sleigh. 
And he was good enough to take us once around the Casbah, but then he dumped us because we were not the objects of his affection. My sister was. The problem my sister had was that she had a bunch of crummy little brothers. But while my other two brothers went inside, the minute my sister got in on it and they started to take off, I stayed outside. And I watched that sleigh, and we had about eight inches of fresh snow, clear sky, moon was out, cold, no wind. And I watched that sleigh go down the street, and all I could hear was a puff, 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 the, the, the horse hoof on the snow, because the snow deadened sound, and a little tiny jingle from those bells. And I watched that young man go off with my sister. And I thought, to me, it wasn't 36 hours of peace. It was 36 minutes of tranquility in a world that just stopped for me. That I thought, everything is good. Everything is fine. Everything is all right in the world. Well, it wasn't all right in the world. And things didn't last. But I'll tell you what did last was my impression of that event 50 years ago. It has stuck with me. And it's just as one particular beautiful time that I don't ever want to give up because it sustains me every now and then. I think about where is beauty in this world? Well, I saw the beauty that night. And, and because of these singular events in life, and you and I are singular events, and the, the impact that we have on others in whatever way, shape, or form the Lord moves us to interact with others. The Christmas story is a story that no matter how much the left and the haters of God want to get rid of it, they cannot. It will never be extinguished any more than it could, was, could have been extinguished that night and 1914. But particular to the joy in the story is that there is nothing in the Christmas story that gives rise, and I love this, to envy or class struggle or warfare. It's quite the contrary. And I'm not going to read this Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. You know it. But there were things that just stand out in this particular time. I mean, it was a story of Humility, not royalty, humility. There was heavenly fanfare. There really wasn't any earthly fanfare. Jesus was revealed to the lower strata of society. He was a commoner, if you will, in that sense. He wasn't something to which we could not relate he made himself relatable in all ways possible. It says in Scripture that he was tempted like all, in all ways like we, yet without sin. Do you ever wonder why it took Herod so long to be concerned about Jesus' birth? Let me ask you, what, what if there was a word out, that, that uh, the word came out, that there was a future president being born somewhere in the United States this, this very night, a president of the United States was being born this very night. 
Well, that's sort of what was going on there, except that um, what if that president, future president being born, was not at uh, Bethesda Naval Hospital, was not at Cedar sinai or some fancy, maybe that, what if that child was born in room seven at a Motel 6 in South Central L.A.? Now, let some high-profile people fly in, like some governors and things that find out about it, and see what happens. But there's an interesting passage out of Matthew, chapter 2, that says that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 3 is particularly noteworthy. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod couldn't give a rat's rear end until all of a sudden wise men showed up and started paying attention. Now he's concerned. And not only is he concerned, but all of Jerusalem is concerned. And what was Jerusalem? Jerusalem's a capital. Jerusalem's a deep state. Jerusalem was Washington, D.C. Do you think there would be a stir in Washington, D.C. when they found out that a future president was being born that particular night, and would they be concerned? You better believe they'd be concerned. You see, the ordinariness of this birth uh, is what, in part, makes it so extraordinary. So no, it sounds like a, con a contradiction. But the birth of Jesus was extraordinary in its ordinariness, if that makes sense. He did come among us. But unless you're a Herod, what was to be disliked? See, there's always going to be Herods, but there will always be angels. There will always be naysayers. There's always going to be lots of excited common folk. Lots of excited shepherds. There always will be those trying to suppress the holiday, but that's harder than suppressing the joy of a child seeing baby Jesus in a manger. Jesus did come as a commoner. There's no fanfare, no bombast, which is one of the reasons so many of us love it and identify with it. You know, there have been notable um, royalty. You've got, what, Meghan Markle now, and you've got uh, Kate Middleton, and you've got their husbands and so forth. But though I never followed her or paid much attention, I was well aware of the attention she received by many people around the world, and including the United States, and that was Princess Di. And why, why of all people is Princess Di so popular? Now, Meghan Markle, she was in films. She was an actress and had some notoriety, and Kate Middleton was hardly slumming it. But Princess Di was popular because she was plucked from obscurity. It's, it's a story we can all love. She was plucked from obscurity.
And what what what's involved? Do you have to be born into royalty to become royalty? No. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. You don't have to be born into royalty to, be, to become royalty. You just have to be picked. And all it takes to become a princess is to be picked by a prince, right? And when the Lord chooses us and we answer, we have been picked. We have become royalty. Actually, as Scripture says, a royal priesthood. I want to return for just a second to the Christmas truce of 1914 because I wanted to ask this question. Who could oppose a time of peace? Who could be opposed to? Who could be opposed to a truce? Was anybody actually opposed to that truce? Yes, they were. And I want to tell you, those who were opposed to the truth, truce were the generals, the same ones who uh, the political leaders were opposed to it. Who was opposed to the peace between God and man when Jesus was there, the Sanhedrin? The Pharisees were opposed to the truce, the peace between God and man through Jesus. The Washington elite, the United Nations. Who is opposed to peace? I will tell you. Those who are in charge. Those who are in charge require anxiety, strife, war to remain in control. The generals lost control of their men in 1914 because they were fraternizing with the enemy. Perish the thought that man should get along with other men. But no, those who are in charge so often only can maintain control by maintaining conflict. It's known that whenever a leader gets really in, in serious trouble in, in uh, his own country, they're prone to do one thing, start a war. But not so with Jesus. This is where we, as the royal priesthood, are one-person peacekeeping operations. We may not change the world, but we just need to change and have an impact on those that are close by, those upon whom we can have an impact. You know, Christmas is a unifying event because we can all relate to the humble origins of Jesus. We really can. We, we are drawn to people of humble origins. Many of us, including me, loved Ronald Reagan because he was born a poor kid in a cr crummy little town of Dixon, Illinois, and he wasn't much. It wasn't much of a town, but he was a common folk. People, Why do people love Ben Carson? Look at Ben Carson's origin from a poor family, inner city Detroit. Who doesn't relate to that? What we can't relate to are the elites, the snobs, the ones that want to control us in every way, shape, or form in Washington and every other place because they're all about 
control. But Jesus, in his humility, rose from the masses. And he assumed his ordained role of royalty. And the beauty of it is that coming from nothing, rising from the masses, assuming the role of royalty, he in turn now invites the masses, you and I, to join him in his kingdom. My goodness sakes. That's what difference that's what difference one life makes. But he's replicated himself in you and me so that we would also then carry this story to others. And in some way, shape, or form, however, we can bring an element of true peace. And I don't mean compromise over non-negotiables. You know me better than that. (laughs) I'm talking about when you can actually be a bridge between God and man. The angels came down and said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's interesting, the angels said goodwill toward men, not among men. And you know the reason the angels said that was because there was not yet peace between God and man. Jesus was about to change all of that. There wasn't peace between God and man. And there first has to be peace between God and man before there can then become peace among men. Until we receive that peace and our peace with our Savior is established, we've got nothing to share. Nothing whatsoever. We can share ideas. We can share gifts. We can share niceties, all of those kinds of things. But the only thing that sets us apart from anybody else in the whole lost world is the fact that the Lord lives inside of us. And we have a peace that now, because peace has been bridged and between God and man in us, we can now share it laterally. We have to receive it vertically before we can receive it laterally. You know, you think about this, and it's storybook, right? Uh, How could anything be such a great story? But it isn't storybook because it's true. It's not storybook because it's not fiction. And just like that night 50 years ago, That was a storybook moment of watching my sister ride off with her bow in that one-horse open sleigh. But it wasn't storybook. It really happened. And when it really happens, it lives inside of you. And it lives inside of you for one purpose only, beyond our own salvation. And that is so that we can in turn share it with others. That's your task this Christmas, regardless of what happens with all of the stuff we talked about the first half of the program. This is the real story. 
God bless you all. Have a very Merry Christmas. Sit tall in the saddle. Remember, you ride for brand. Brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you.